Blog Talk Radio. Wounded but not broken. With host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken with your host, Patrick Scroggins. Excited for this show tonight. It's, uh, tonight on this show is a good friend of mine. He's been over a decade as a, in the Navy SEALs. Um, very humble human being, great guy, a good friend of mine, and I, I can't wait to uh, get this story going. Joe, his name is Joe Hahn. I'll introduce him now, Joe. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, man. Thanks for being here. So, you know, this podcast, is, you know, it's all about inspiration, overcoming adversity, um, having being a strong-minded, strong-willed, and you know I can't think of anybody better to relay relay that message than you. And so, um, you know, we'll just let's just dive right into it, man. I mean, what what wanted what made you what what inside you wanted when wanted to become a Navy SEAL? And I was actually kind of late in my uh, life when I wanted to do that. I say late. I was in college, actually going to Texas A&M University. Uh, on a pre-med degree. I was on my way to be a, a pediatrician when uh, September 11th happened. Um, at the time, I was probably 165, skinny, scrawny freshman, if you can imagine a freshman straight out of uh, in college and uh, had no muscle tone or great gumption to become super fit in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but when September 11th happened, I was actually in the ROTC program at Texas A&M, the Corps of Cadets, and uh, me being from Texas, uh, my first thing was, I'm still young and able, I need to fight for my country while I can, I can always come back to college, and so I kind of started my journey there. So, but, you know, I mean, I think I think a lot of us, I mean, a lot of the guys I've had on the show and me, I mean, I think, it, you know, it was all that, that, it was that pivotal point for us. I mean, it was that, you know, they attacked us on our, our own, on our homeland, and and I think just being a patriotic American and and somebody that was wanting to uh, do something that was bigger than themselves, I think I think that just kind of sums it up. So, um, you know, as a kid, you never had really any kind of interest in, in getting into the military or anything like that. No, no, I uh, was raised in foster care, so I know my uh, my family uh, too well. But uh, my my last foster dad was a sergeant major in the um, the army in Desert Storm. And an artillery group out of Fort Hood, <clears throat> and he talked about it a little bit, but I never really had interest. I was uh, I considered myself pretty smart. I graduated third in my class uh, at my high school, and um, my big thing was, uh, you know, I wanted to be a doctor of some sort. Um, and uh, pediatrics kind of, I wanted to go towards that because in high school, I went to a super small school. So in high school, I used to do a lot of stuff for the elementary kids and stuff, and um kind of had a natural knack because I guess I was like always never going to grow up kind of mentality. Uh, but the, uh, the kids there, I always enjoyed hanging out with them and interacting with them. And they'd always want to talk to me if, if the teachers were upset or whatnot. And uh, I was like, man, I could, I could kind of make a medical career out of that. And pediatrics kind of was going for. Uh, 
But when uh, September 11th happened, and I, yeah, it was kind of a split second decision. Uh, being in the ROTC program, everybody kind of talked about that. So um, I started doing some research. Um, my first uh, inkling was uh, Marines because those guys have a reputation and a legacy that's unlike nobody else. Um, but I went and talked to uh, recruiters, um, and I heard about special operations through uh, special operations and special forces, um, the different branches. Um, and so I, I kind of did more research into that, and I stumbled across uh, uh, books that were kind of hard to find, but some, about some frogmen in Vietnam. Um, and it kind of inspired me because the uh, big thing about the Navy was uh, scuba diving. And I always wanted to learn how to scuba dive. I loved to swim. And I was like, man, don't pay me to learn how to scuba dive. I'm all in. So it kind of was what drug me initially to the teams. Gotcha. So, so you know, when you when you decided to take that step, so you went straight in into the BUDS program. Is that right? Uh, nope. Uh, when I joined the Navy, they wanted us to have a rate. Because at the time, uh, Navy SEALs weren't uh, as popular and mainstream. Um, actually, the first time I actually heard about Navy SEALs was uh, from the uh, PS2 game, uh, SOCOM Navy SEALs. Um, and that was a, one of the best games ever, I thought. Um, <laughs> I was playing that, and I was like, oh, what are these Navy SEAL guys? And looked into it, and you know, all the literature and research and whatever I could find at the time, being in 2001, 2002, the Internet was just up and coming, so it wasn't like I could get on a computer and just Google it. Um, I had to go to the library and uh, talk to anybody and everybody that I knew uh, involved with military, being with the Corps cadets, you can get all the information right there about any branch of service. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically how I heard about the team. I didn't even know what a Navy SEAL was until I was in college, and like I said, saw it on PlayStation Two. So how did how did the, how did the pipeline? How did, I'm sorry, that's kind of funny, but um, how did how did the the pipeline start for you? So you went to the Navy basic training, and then and then after that, what did you do? Uh, so in 2001, uh, I went and started talking to recruiter. Um, he kind of looked at me, he's like, "Hey, you got a training plan?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah." Um, I'm going to start training my butt off because I know this is a very arduous and, and tough selection process. So you know, I, I, I was training like every day <clears throat> until I joined the Navy in October 2003. I had a delayed entry program at the time, especially after September 11th. Everybody wanted to join, and it was an influx of uh, of everybody. Um, at the time, I was I wanted to be a corpsman because you have to pick a rate before you go to bud then because in case you quit, the attrition rate is, um, you know, 60, 70%. So 250 guys would go in and like 30 guys actually graduate the BUDS program. Um, so they, the Navy wanted to make sure that once you quit that you had a job so you wouldn't be wasted uh, upon the fleet. So at first I wanted to do corpsman because I was in the medical field uh, at college. And they told me it was going to take me about two to three years before I even think about joining because Everybody wanted to be a corpsman at the time, and I was like, well, I don't want to wait that long. What's the shortest A school you got? So Navy has A school, like your MLS school or whatever. Um, and they told me Master at Arms, which is basically military police, was six weeks. And I was like, sign me up then. That'd be cool because um, it'd give me some time practicing with a pistol and whatnot. Because before that, I never shot a pistol or a rifle uh, because being a foster care, I wasn't allowed to touch that stuff. So um, first exposure I had to any type of firearms was – actually in Navy boot camp. It was uh, good times. 
Well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you, how, how quick life changes, you know, you wanted to be a doctor to, you know, going into one of the most difficult processes of the, you know, that anybody, you know, human being can go through. I mean, that being the Navy SEAL pipeline and, uh, you know, I've seen you shoot, so you are a surgeon to this day. So, uh, that's, uh, it's pretty impressive watching you shoot, but so you get, you, you know, you get, you get through the, the basic and, and when, when did you go to budge and how much of a culture shock was that for you? Or did you, were you expecting it to be that, that difficult? Um, I was, so it wasn't too much of a culture shock. So like I mentioned before, growing up, um, I lived in a lot of different foster homes. And so uh, transitioning in military life was reminding me of my childhood because I, I moved around, I moved around probably on average every six to seven months to a different home. Uh, I was, in foster care from when I was five years old to like regular high school. I lived in over 50 different homes, a couple failed adoptions. Um, it was a kind of a big dragger in itself. Uh, so that, I mean, the mentality part of it, the mental part of it wasn't, wasn't that tough. It just kind of felt like another, um, I say group home because I lived in a handful of group homes with dudes. Uh, but these guys were not, uh, not juvenile delinquents, uh, like myself. Uh, at the time, you know, there were grown men wanting to do some of the greatest work uh, that the U.S. military can do. Um, so it was more positive and upbeat, but it was, you know, it wasn't super culture shock. So I went from boot camp straight to my A school, which was only six weeks long, and then straight to BUDS because um, it was in my contract. And I kind of, the Navy wanted me to do, because uh, I scored a 98 on my ASVAB. And they like, we need to stick you on a nuclear submarine. We'll give you. $15,000 for a sign-on bonus. And that was, at the time, that was a huge uh, sign-on bonus. Um, and I was like, I don't want to be on a submarine. I want to I want to be a SEAL. And like, well, we can only give you 2000 because you have some college credit, but there's no there's no uh, initiative or incentive to be a SEAL. And I was like, I don't care. This is what I want to do. Um, but they, they tried hard to sell me to do the, the nuclear thing because I guess you got to be pretty smart to mess with glowing rods, you know, like Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, but you know, a lot of people don't probably don't understand or don't know that most of the people, most of the guys in special operations and SEALs, Green Beret, Delta Force, however you may look at it, are all very very smart. If not, have grad degrees and go on to be get PhDs afterwards. I mean, it, you have to be smart. You have to be able to think and and uh, you know have common sense to to do any of them jobs. Um, oh yes, for sure. Like they they have a minimum uh, with everything with the you know, your physical and your your ASVAB scores and all this stuff. But that minimum just kind of gets you looked at, especially nowadays. If you show up to a recruiter and say, "Hey, these are my times for run, swim, um, and pull ups and push ups and stuff like that," and if it's barely over the minimum, they'll they'll kind of laugh at you because the and the way people prepare for that thing is they want to try to blow it out of the water. So the numbers are, they have to be competitive. I mean, even back in, you know, 2002, 2003, when I first joined the Navy, um, the guys that were there was competitive. Like if you did the bare minimum as far as pull-ups and push-ups and the physical tests and your ASVAB is kind of low, you kind of had a target on your back the minute you walked through the the quarter deck on the Bud's compound. Right. I mean, the the mentality of, of everybody going through that is not to, to be average, not to be a minimum, it's to be the best. And, and that's why it's so competitive. And that's why, you you know, everybody pushes everybody. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just a different mindset, which kind of, that's what I want to talk about. So 
that mindset that you have to be in, you know, take us to buds and, and not a lot of people probably are super familiar with buds more now than they were back then because it's so uh, publicized, but that mindset that you have to get in it, it's not something that's really taught you. In my opinion, I think you're born with it. You either, you can either overcome the adversity and you can suck it up and you know that that day is going to end and you're going to move on to the next one. It's not going to last forever, but some people don't think like that. And so did you think like that initially? And you know, that, just talk about that mindset that you have to have to make it through a program like that. Oh, man, it's it's different for each guy because um, they've done so many psychological studies on the guys that have gone through buds, made it through buds, guys that have quit buds, um, and it's, God, it's it's such it's such an enigma on that that whole key, I guess, because everybody's like, what's the secret to buds? You know, how was your mindset? And it's like for me, um, I had. A, like I said, I established my mindset at an early age. Like I was really driven uh, growing up through, well, after middle school. When I got to high school, I became really driven um, because, uh, believe it or not, when I was I was at this one home, um, I was a sophomore in high school, and the kid that graduated uh, that year when I was a sophomore, who was another foster kid, um, the foster parents, um, as soon as he graduated high school, they drove him to the bus station and, and dropped him off. And uh, I was like, that, that kind of blew me away. I was like, man, um, if they did that to me, I wouldn't have nowhere to go because at the time I, I had no relatives, uh, no family really that I was uh, involved with um, besides that home. And that home I was at, at the time uh, wasn't a very good home. Um, and so I, I was like, hell, I got to get my stuff together and start making a plan for my future. So that kind of led me into getting into you know, text A&M and kind of establishing a plan. But before that, I didn't really have a plan as far as life goals and whatnot. I uh, was just kind of a selfish teenager that lived for the moment, you know, like all we all do. And um, kind of seeing some of that stuff and processing that uh, made me kind of get self-driven and whatnot. Um, now, when I got there, uh, the big thing that was uh, was kind of inspiring was just guys' mentality on uh, who they wanted around them which is a big thing, right? Like the instructors, they knew that in you know a year's time, the guy standing in front of them could be uh, next to them in Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, and they wanted to make sure that the guy that they were making it through training was literally the best that they could offer. You know, they didn't want anybody that was the gray man trying to blend in um, or even the guys that are lowest tier. Of, uh, the, the guys that are barely performing are trying to skate by. And there's guys that, were physical studs that were going through buds. Um, we had an Olympic, Olympic swimmer. He crushed us all during the swim, did really well during the runs and whatnot. But he was a very uh, – he wasn't a team player. That's why they call it uh, the SEAL teams and not the uh, Navy SEAL operator course, you know? Yeah. Uh, they uh, – everyone knew there, once you get there, it's explained to you, like, hey, look to your left, look to your right. Uh, by the end of this training, those guys will not be staying next to you. Um and it's not because they aren't man enough. Um, it's because those are the people that didn't have what it took to be uh, at war at the highest caliber. Um, so that was uh, something that encouraged me, I guess. You know, it's like, man, I'm about to be surrounded by um, a bunch of awesome guys. Uh, and, a, and a team mentality was, a, was something I was drawn to just kind of with my upbringing. Um, whole team camaraderie and, and basically the, the family kind of kind of attitude everybody had. 
So uh, right. when when I, when I got to Bud, yeah, it, it sucked. Um, you know, you're you're barely sleeping. You're up all the time. You're always moving stuff, and um, I wasn't uh, the strongest, the fastest, but uh, I was definitely one of the guys that put out every every evolution. So. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's no give me, like you said. I mean, it's it's you either you got what they're looking for, or or, or you don't, and you got to be well rounded. But uh, that being said, we're going to take a word from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to dive into to more of the buds training, and then uh, after that. So uh, here's a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wounded but Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Look at family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. If you are one of the 20 million veterans who served in the United States military, then this message is for you. During your time in the service, you might have experienced conditions and mishaps that have or will have an impact on your health and quality of life. Sometimes it takes years for these conditions to manifest themselves. Most veterans ignore the early warning signs and therefore miss opportunities that could have improved their health or extended their life. It is important that you identify underlying conditions early while you have a chance to make a difference. The VDAC software was created to help you identify presumptive service-connected conditions as well as assist you with filling out any of your VA disability forms. Not every veteran wants to file a claim. However, knowing what health issues to be aware of is an added benefit of living a long, healthy life. For those who want to file for their VA disability, the VDAC application greatly simplifies and expedites this process and therefore produces a perfectly filled out VA disability form with supporting material. For more information, go to nifv.org. Again, that's nifv.org. The goal of VDAC, the Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is to empower you, the veteran, with a quick and easy tool that aids you with filling out your VA disability forms. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we're here with Joe Hahn, 
Uh, he's a retired Navy SEAL. Um, he's, we just left off with uh, Bud's training and, and Joe. I know I like it's something I like to get different perspectives on because I get asked the question all the time when I do speeches or whatever it may be of, you know, what's your mindset? How do you get your mind to where you're not going to quit or whatever? And I really don't have a good answer other than that it's just wired into me. I will either pass out or die before I'll quit doing something if my mind's set on it. And so I don't, I don't know how you would explain that. Do you have do you have a better way of explaining it? No, um, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, that's why they call it mindset. It's what you're setting your mind to, right? How bad do you want that end goal? Um, being a Navy SEAL um, and being in the teams uh, was something that uh, I wanted more than anything else. It was you know, it was it was the only thing in uh, life that I can envision myself doing. You know, it was uh, that I couldn't think of. You know, I was before I joined. I was in college driving buses and and you know working at the Chow Hall there in uh, um, at the campus. Um, when I was going through buds and wanting to do that, I didn't even think about you know how how cush my last job was or anything. Um, it was just like, hey, my end goal was this, uh, and I'm gonna accomplish that uh no matter what it takes and, and how long it takes um yeah so what, what what was the toughest part of buds for you do you think um the toughest part of buds is when i got hurt and rolled back in hell week so i uh, started in class 251 uh you know 250 you know sailors uh, show up to they called it in dock phase at the time um, everybody's getting ready to basically spend about how many time, I mean, like a month or so till everybody gets there from their different duty stations and boot camps and whatnot, uh, to class up and you're basically learning how to run with the boat on your head, how to do log PT. Um, <clears throat> it still sucks, but, uh, it's, it's not as uh, mentally strenuous and they're not, the instructors aren't yelling at you as much. It's not like a, it's not a screening process at the time. It's more of a, Hey, this is, this is what you're expected to do. Um, and then you start first phase, and first phase starts, you know, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. They wake you up and they beat you on the grinder for uh, it seems like forever, but you know, uh, for a few hours, getting wet and sandy, running around, running down the beach, and then you finally, you know, four or five hours later, you're actually barely sitting at breakfast. And um, each day, <clears throat> the instructor will basically read you the schedule for the week. It takes a good chunk of time, and they post it everywhere because uh, it's it's a lot. You know, it's it's uh, the amount of activities and uh, different training evolutions <clears throat> are, are there. Um, a to prepare you, but B, uh, they display that and tell you that to kind of see how strong you are mentally. A lot of people start to doubt themselves, and they'll get in their heads, and that was the biggest thing I saw. Like I mentioned before, <clears throat> we had an Olympic swimmer in our class. Uh, he made it about the first week of, of uh, first phase um, just because it just he just you, once you start doubting yourself, you kind of start thinking that you can't do it, and then you'll think of other options that you can do instead, and they make it easy to quit. You know, they, they got that bell everywhere, um, and once guys quit, you know, uh, instructors aren't yelling at you anymore. It's it's more of a hey, bud, you know, it's all right, shake it off, and you can get a blanket and a big old California burrito from the, the burrito shop over there in uh, Coronado. And uh, they make it so easy to quit for guys and tantalizing for guys that are there. They, they want to make sure that you're there um, and you really want it. 
<clears throat> so all that stuff wasn't the mental aspects and games of it weren't uh, too tough. But I got to Hell Week, um, and the log, we were doing some log PT, is about Wednesday, and it hit my uh, shoulder weird. And so it did something to a nerve in my neck, and my arm went completely numb. I couldn't feel it. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there trying to do log PT with one arm. Uh, and at first, you know, my bud's crew, or my boat crew starts yelling at me, you know, you know stop, stop ducking boat, you know, stop being a pussy, you put out or quit. And, Instructor pulls me aside and they're trying to make me do bear crawls, but I'm doing like a one-arm bear crawl because my arm just, just doesn't work. It's like, you know, ended up pinching a nerve real bad. Uh, but at the time, they were just like, hey, you could have severed it. We're not sure yet. We're doing some MRIs, but um, we're going to do MRIs and then you'll, you'll probably get rolled out of buds and uh, go back to the fleet. Uh, and that was that was probably the toughest, toughest part of buds, I'll be honest with you, uh, just because I felt pretty much defeated because it was something that was almost out of my control. Um, uh, injuries like that, guys kind of suffer with shin splints and broken bones and whatnot. Uh, but I, I try to talk to him like every day and, and say, hey, that's be something I can do. Um, and then it coming back uh, saying that it was just a, a pinch nerve. It wasn't anything severe. Um, they said they'd have to monitor it because sometimes those pinch nerves, I don't know, some, some older guys would probably get this, but you pinch a nerve, it could be, you know, six to eight months before you feel anything. It could be a permanent process depending on what the nerve did when it got pinched. Or, but mine, fortunately, was only like a week or two. Um, and due to the fact that, uh, obviously, since I got rolled out of Hell Week, I had to start with the next class. So they immediately rolled me back to the next class. And so I had to start uh, day one, week one of NDOC. Uh, all over again, even though in the process for about four months at the time. Right. And I mean, and that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of the epitome of what they're looking for, right? I mean, you're not ever going to, I mean, if something happens tragically and, and you get pulled out, that's not, that's, like you said, that's out of your control and that probably hurts worse than anything. But that mindset and that being well-rounded, I mean, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people that will um, absolutely put, everything aside and be, because they believe in it and they're the, the, it's the pride, it's the attitude, right? I mean, it, it's yeah. just that being well-rounded. It, it's the, uh, it's definitely the, the mental, like you said, the mindset they, they're looking for mostly. I mean, guys have the mindset to perform um, and, and get stronger and better. Like you can get a guy stronger, faster, better uh, by working them out and doing the right techniques. You know, we don't need the, you know, the, the superhero uh, the Superman right off the bat. We need the guy that uh, can, no matter what, determine quit because um, won't quit because there are situations. Um, when I was going to rescue Key after Buds, that's uh, when uh, Operation Red Wing went down, and obviously that uh, motivated me more to to uh, to be there and to take the fight to the enemy. But um, one of the biggest things that they talked about, you know, is never being out of fight. Um, and they wanted that mindset. No, like no matter what, they want to, you to remember you're, you're going to get you're going to get injured. You're going to be in some some fallacious uh, places overseas. You're going to be overtaxed and underslept and underfed. Uh, but they uh, they want to know that a, a your body can do more than what you think you can, and that b that mindset needs to be there because you know. <clears throat> all right, sometimes I, I see people you know they get too tired or something and they'll just kind of quit before they even get done with stuff and like you know my kids kind of do good sometimes i got three little boys and i have to encourage them like hey you think you can't go any further but you still got a couple more steps in you uh and that was the 
probably this biggest thing that got me through Hell Week, right? Um, Hell Week starts uh, like any other week where they tell you exactly what you're going to do, but they do all that before they, they put you in the tents. <clears throat> and they wake you up. Uh, it's probably super early on uh, Sunday morning, Sunday Sunday night, Sunday morning. Um, and you're going for days without sleep. And the biggest thing is I try not to think about if I'm going to make it to Friday and just start off with I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it to sunrise. You know, I'm going to make it through the day. And then once that starts getting tough, you're like, man, I don't know if I can make it to the day. Next thing is I'll make it to the next meal and then I'll kind of weigh my options and see how I feel then. And then I'd make it to the next meal and be like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Keep going. And then, you know, towards the end of hell week, it's, uh, it's even tough. You're like, man, I got to make it, just make it to the next evolution. Cause you'd have four or five evolutions of different things before you got to your next meal. Um, God, by Thursday or Friday, you're just, you're trying not to think about, man, this, this evolution's never going to end. So I got down to, I, I got 10 more steps in me. So if we were running or, or doing some type of uh, evolution, I'd make it 10 more steps. I'd count to 10. Then I'd start over and count to 10. And that kind of has always stuck with me through everything. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I've been through afterwards and, and stuff like that, it's just always like, hey, you know what? I can, if I can make it to the next meal, I should be good. So, um, yeah, so the biggest thing is, is making those, uh, eating that shit sandwich just one small bite at a time. Um, and, and making those obtainable things and keep pushing forward. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of that's kind of what, what started this whole thing, you know, a little bit ago when I said the mindset. You either have it or you don't, and you know some people don't, and that's the one thing you can't teach. So um, that's you know sounds to me like that's what they look for. They're looking at, at the mindset. They can teach you everything else, and everybody has it inside of them. Just not everybody knows how to tap into it. I don't think, and so. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that sets you guys apart from everybody else. You tap into it better than anybody. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's awesome. And, but so you graduate buds had to be a super, had to be one of the proudest moments of your life, I would guess up until that point. Oh, it was exciting. It was, uh, I can't remember exactly. It was August, 2005 when I completed the, the initial buds pipeline, um, Oh, no, August 2005 is when I completed, completed SQT. So I finished <clears throat> February of BUDS, and you transition immediately in the call, SEAL qualification training. Um, they established that to kind of get it more streamlined for guys going through BUDS, because before that, in the 90s, guys would finish BUDS, they'd go to a team, um, and the guys would call what they call STT, which is basically before you get your trident. Um, you'd have to earn it at the team, be there a year, and some of the older guys would basically bring you into what, the team tactics were. Um, since the war kicked off, everybody didn't have uh, different areas of operations, different AOs. So back in the 90s, uh, the teams had, uh, each team had its specific area of operations. So um, one team would be Arctic, kind of almost like, uh, you know, the Army SF groups, you know, fifth group had mountaineering and whatnot and whatnot. Teams had the same thing. They had a mountaineering group. They had a scuba diving group. They had a jungle group. And it was all kind of spread out like that. Um, so that at any time something kicked off, a team specifically trained in the area would go. Uh, when September 11th kicked off, everybody won. Some survey kind of came, um, everything encompassing and, and rotating to the teams. So they wanted guys to have more of a baseline before they got to the teams. So SGT was uh, just more training. You just wasn't as wasn't as uh, 
bunch of screen process, but more of actual training, like, hey, this is what you're going to be doing. Uh, there wasn't really anybody that quit. There's some guys that got dropped during SQT, but um, you're kind of past the whole, hey, we're trying to make you quit phase. Um, and want to make sure you're good to go. So when you get to the team, you have some type of baseline of being uh, in, in the t- SEAL teams. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's more like of a professional environment. Now you're a professional. Now you need to live up to to it. You know, you're out of the baby phase or the, the overwatch phase, but now you're held accountable to everything, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so a guy named Dick Couch wrote about it. It's one of the first books that came out during my generation. It was called The Finishing School. And that's basically what it is. It, it basically, before you get your trident, when you finish SQT, that's when everybody kind of gets their trident pinned and, and you kind of go jump in the Coronado Bay. And uh, and then you, it's, it used to be not a huge thing. Nowadays, it, it's an actual ceremony and whatnot. Um, but back in the day, we, we stood in a, a boat barn in the SQT training area. Um, the CEO of NSW came and pinned us all. And then we all kind of got wet and then we all, you know, had a great Friday night. Uh, but that was right before we would – then we went straight up to Alaska and started doing winter warfare training. But, yeah, um, that was one of the greatest days um, of my life for sure. Uh, it kind of made me more proud in a sense that uh, during uh, during BUDS, um, I found out that my my real uncle was a uh, team guy in Vietnam at SEAL Team 1. So during the uh, second phase, it was a dive phase, they they would have a they had a what they called a legacy beatdown. So basically, if you had any family in the teams, they pull you aside and they give you a little extra attention. Um, so second phase is after Hell Week. Um, and they usually do it. Uh, I'm not sure if it was after pool comp or before pool comp. Pool comp's an evolution in itself that uh, definitely suck fest. Uh, but anyway, so they're beat. They they take me aside and they beat me and. Um, you know, with all these other guys, with you know the dads and uncles that were team guys or master chiefs in the team at the time, and um, I'm all confused. I'm like, I, I I don't have anybody that's in the teams. You know, I, you know, raised in foster care and you know considered an orphan. I don't, I don't know anybody. And uh, the instructors are like, you well, there's one other Han that's been through the program, um, a guy named uh, Ronald Han. And uh, I knew a little bit about my family, so I was like, I had Uncle Ronnie. You know, come to find out, he was uh, he, that was my uncle. And, Team one, and after a few uh, reunions, I got to talk to a lot of guys that went to his bud class and went to Vietnam. But hey, he was an interesting character nonetheless. So it kind of made me more a little proud when I did make it through again, or make it through uh, SQT and get my trident because uh, of that little bit of history that I learned while I was going to bud. Right. Yeah, that had to be that had to be super special. And so we're gonna take we're gonna break here real quick. Word from the sponsors. When we come back, we're gonna. We'll start with uh, with Joe starting to be operational as a SEAL. And I will say tonight that this is going to be a two-part series. We're going to finish it up uh, next Monday night. But uh, anyways, we'll be right back. Word from our sponsors. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Looking for semi-drivers nationwide? GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? 
Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GPS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. If you are one of the 20 million veterans who served in the United States military, then this message is for you. During your time in the service, you might have experienced conditions and mishaps that have or will have an impact on your health and quality of life. Sometimes it takes years for these conditions to manifest themselves. Most veterans ignore the early warning signs and therefore miss opportunities that could have improved their health or extended their life. It is important that you identify underlying conditions early while you have a chance to make a difference. The VDAC software was created to help you identify presumptive service-connected conditions as well as assist you with filling out any of your VA disability forms. Not every veteran wants to file a claim. However, knowing what health issues to be aware of is an added benefit of living a long, healthy life. For those who want to file for their VA disability, the VDAC application greatly simplifies and expedites this process and therefore produces a perfectly filled out VA disability form with supporting material. For more information, go to nifv.org. Again, that's nifv.org. The goal of VDAC, the Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is to empower you, the veteran, with a quick and easy tool that aids you with filling out your VA disability forms. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Here with Joe Hahn, just finishing up Buds and, and SQT, and he gets through that. He gets his tridents, and uh, obviously, as anybody, it would be a, you know, it's such a... Uh, huge accomplishment um and so what, now joe what where did you go after that uh so first orders were silking five <clears throat> on the west coast um and it was right when they got back from their deployment so they were they were fresh from iraq and we were fresh from buds um and yeah you, know, you probably hear a bunch of horror stories uh about guys coming into the teams and whatnot but man that, that first platoon of guys was um, they were awesome um, they had an awesome OIC and AOIC uh, some of the senior guys that um, were coming back were were super stoked and motivated um, and I, I learned so much from them just initially you know just kind of being in their presence that was my big thing when I was getting to the teams um, the biggest thing is you know mouth shut and ears open uh, it was even though I just earned my trident and kind of passed that crucible and, and 
you know, had that thing on my chest, I still feel like I was surrounded by superheroes. You know, those guys were, were larger than life. Uh, you know, and sometimes they, my AOC would, would tell me on Fridays, he goes, all right, done being a frog man this week. Uh, you know, go enjoy yourself and, and, and have a good time kind of deal. And, and sometimes I'd, like I said, being around those guys, it kind of, I would forget that, Hey, you know, I'm one of these guys too. You know, I'm, I'm just as, uh, just as capable of uh, calling myself a, a team guy because, you know, I'm here with these guys. I'm not supporting them anyway and whatnot. So uh, it was cool. Um, and like I said, it was, I was always inspired and, and kind of almost starstruck when uh, when I was around those guys, just doing work up and training and watching those guys, you know, do their job and learning their job uh, initially was, I was blown away. Stuff you don't yeah. read about in books for sure. Yeah, I mean – you know, as with, you know, all the special operations, everybody has their, you know, their niche. I mean, you, you truly, you do, you stand, you're standing amongst giants. I mean, you really are uh, for, you know, what the guys have seen and done for this country. Uh, what you have seen and done for this country is, you know, n- nobody can really relate. It's, you can only read about, in, out about it in books because most of y'all don't and can't talk about a lot of it, you know. So, um, so you get to that first, that first team, um, you know, I'm sure it's uh it's it's a different lifestyle for sure. Nobody probably would really understand some of the stories that, that you all that you all do in the fun, you know, but so how long before you deployed the first time? Um, so I was able to get a full workup in, so it was it was uh fourteen, sixteen months. So um, like I said, at the time it was a that you deployed uh, for about six to eight months out of the year and then you did a workup for about a year and a half ish. Um so they had just gotten back from Iraq, um, and we're starting their uh, basically their beginning of their their uh, pipeline again, um, and so uh, got the I got my Trident and got the Team Five at 2005, um, and that thing with Team Five and Team Four at the time uh, they call them the uh, the holiday deployment uh, teams it was us on the West Coast. It was one in five and. Uh, the East Coast, it was, uh, I believe, two and four. So we would deploy during Christmas. Uh, that was the rotation that was in. So I uh, got there in 2005, and then uh, October 2007. So, yeah, 2007 was uh, uh, the first deployment overseas. So I got a full workup in and, and got to learn as much as I could for these guys before I uh, went on my first deployment. Oh, sorry, October 2006, not 2007. So when you say a full workup, just for our listeners, just when you when you say that, I mean I know what you mean, but what uh, can you explain it? Like, um, uh, so know. it's 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 different for whatever unit and whatnot you're going through. But a full workup means uh, you're not missing any of the training involved in that uh, deployment pipeline. Um, at the time, they didn't really have it broken down like they do now. Now, so guys would neatly get back and they have a, uh, they, they would call it like redeployment, but they're basically just de-jocking and decompressing and kind of looking at uh, hard skills and bringing in new guys. Old guys would, would uh, go to different training cells or whatnot if they'd been in a while. It's just a big shuffle at first, and then you, you basically start at the beginning of, uh, of your advanced training pipeline. So it'd be shooting schools. So indiv- at first it'd be like individual training. Um, so you do like your shooting schools, your scuba diving schools, like advanced stuff, not stuff you do in SGT, but um, that's where you get the, the weeds of all the 
actual tactics and stuff that guys would use. Um, and halfway through that, guys would start coming together and you do like your platoon and, and troop size stuff where you train as a, a whole unit. So uh, right for deployment, you're really going as a, as a full troop and as a full team to different locations and different training sites and, and running full mission profiles. So we basically break that down. Um, if you want to compare it to, uh, say, a football season, right? Um, you get your preseason, which is basically right after you get done with the playoffs or the Super Bowl, um, and that's where you start working on your individual basics, right? Um, and then you, once the season gets started, <clears throat> and I considered our season is when we all kind of came back together and we'd start just getting ready to deploy. Um, and, the, you know, game time is actually the six to eight months you're overseas uh, executing missions. So that's what right. I so yeah, I get, I, so you're like you're learning the unit SOP all the all the, the way they the way they do things because everybody has their own niches and the way they do you know, certain tasks. So um, and it's funny that you brought up football because I I say that a lot of time even when I speak you know when you when you talk about the special operations of the military you're you're truly talking about the the less than one percent kind of like the NFL you're talking about the less than one percent of the populations and I I kind of compare them to. Um, in you know the abilities and mindsets, but that, uh, it was just kind of funny you talked about that or you said that. But um, yeah, so well, I really appreciate coming on tonight. We're going to stop here, and then next week we're going to pick up at your first deployment and how that was, and uh, go on through the rest of your military career. And you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and uh, you know um, taking the time. I know you're a busy man, but uh, so. I hope everybody tunes in uh, next Monday night uh, to hear the rest of this story. I hope everybody has a great week. I appreciate it, Patrick, and uh, look forward to chatting with you guys again. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. My father was the the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. If you are one of the 20 million veterans who served in the United States military, then this message is for you. During your time in the service, you might have experienced conditions and mishaps that have or will have an impact on your health and quality of life. Sometimes it takes years for these conditions to manifest themselves. 
Most veterans ignore the early warning signs and therefore miss opportunities that could have improved their health or extended their life. It is important that you identify underlying conditions early while you have a chance to make a difference. The VDAC software was created to help you identify presumptive service-connected conditions as well as assist you with filling out any of your VA disability forms. Not every veteran wants to file a claim. However, knowing what health issues to be aware of is an added benefit of living a long, healthy life. For those who want to file for their VA disability, the VDAC application greatly simplifies and expedites this process and therefore produces a perfectly filled out VA disability form with supporting material. For more information, go to nifv.org. Again, that's nifv.org. The goal of VDAC, the Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is to empower you, the veteran, with a quick and easy tool that aids you with filling out your VA disability forms. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.